of Emerge, the global conversation on the future church that is emerging now. I am the Red Herring. In part two of our third podcast, Steve Taylor talks about his book, The Out of Bounds Church, his blog, Brian McLaren's recent visit to New Zealand, and reviews the movies Narnia, The Fastest Indian, and Firefly. Here are excerpts What is from going the on interview. in emerging churches in New Zealand? Give us an overview, please. If you go to my blog, we've just had an Emerging Church conference here around Brian McLaren, uh, and I did some interviewing of people for that. So that there's sort of audio files, you know, local people reflecting on what's going on. We've even got an interview there with Grace McLaren, actually, which is a really interesting, her reflections on the Emerging Church New Zealand uh, as an outsider. On my blog, there's a list of workshops. I put that up and I wonder out loud if we are moving toward a far more productive conversation with the established church and so more and more we have established denominations coming to us and asking for resourcing, asking for ideas, asking for help. So that's a growing edge I think. Um, I think there's a second growing edge around a desire to move to a more justice focused and a more missionary focused conversation and so there was a workshop that happened around what does emerging church mean for post-colonial non-western mission and that's it's great to have those type of conversations starting to happen. Initially, we were strong in worship uh, and strong in new forms of worship, uh, and I think we've added to that now this desire to connect through ritual, through workplace, and through public art, to, you know, connect outside the church. If I asked you to reflect for a moment on what excites you and what disappoints you about the emerging churches in New Zealand, what would your response be? I'm excited by the wider interest that is going on. I'm excited by the fact that the conversation is now much less defensive and much more embracing of diversity and of difference in terms of, you know, we want to engage in dialogue with people who might not agree with us far more. I am still disappointed by the fact that we are still mainly one cultural group, Pākehā, and I am concerned that there is another group of young leaders where are the next generation of 15 to 25 year olds who will provide fresh life to the emerging church movement? And so um, for me, I'm 37. What does it mean for me to be, such, to be much more intentional about discipling a new group of leaders? Because I'm not young anymore in that cultural sense. Apart from your own congregation, can you give us some examples of emerging church congregations in New Zealand that, that for you are outstanding examples of their yeah. kind? Yeah, if I was doing an emerging church tour of New Zealand, I would land in Auckland, uh, and on Sunday morning I'd go to Cityside Baptist, and there'd be about 100 to 150 people there, and they would, that would be a really rich community-based form of worship. 
I did go along on Sunday evening to Graceway uh, and sit around cafe tables. Uh, that will be a smaller congregation, but again, I'll be blessed by their thinking about mission at the moment uh, and some of the innovation that they have been part of. I would then uh, travel down to Wellington uh, and I would sit at Wellington Central Baptist and I would be part of their spirit exchanges, um, which are groups set up to reach people who are transitioning in their faith stage and perhaps moving out of a box-like evangelical charismatic way of understanding faith and wanting to ask more questions and have space to process out loud. And so I could that they have about three groups doing that. I'd sit there. I'd then move down and on a Sunday morning in Christchurch I'd go to Island Baptist, which I focused on university students and I would enjoy the intellectual stimulation of them wrestling with what their faith will mean linked in with their university studies. I would then go to a power and I could choose, which is my church, and three or four different congregations that are all in their own unique way engaging with different dimensions of post-modernity. Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. You spoke also of the two congregations that you were involved in. We planted Graceway. We met around cafe tables. And we ate together as part of our life. We valued community highly. We had a, a bar store where people sat and shared the stories from their week and about what was going on. And we were there for, for nine years, really working hard on trying to get the community as a whole, owning the worship and being creative. And then I transitioned to a power Baptist, which is totally different. An existing church it was in decline, lost 250 people in the 10 years before we arrived, quite conservative. And increasingly I was suspecting that the conversation we were having wasn't affecting just 20s and 30s. If a sociological change is going on, it's affecting all people. You know, 20s and 30s are the weather vane, but it's affecting you know, all people. Um, and so we've been at a power and wanting to help them you know, work through a new mission future. Part of that we've planted another congregation called Expresso, which is Tuesday evening, cafe-based, Again, high, high intentionality around developing community and everyone's voice being shared and being heard. And we've also reshaped our evening congregation to be much more focused on the practices of faith. Uh, so we give people a practice to do for a month and reflect together on how that doing of that practice is actually enhancing and shaping our lives. So currently we're looking at, at music and we're saying we're looking at the spiritual practice of discernment and we're saying go and listen to your favourite musicians and discern where God is or isn't in your favourite music as a way of trying to help our teenagers, young people, our 20s to be far more discerning about this global world we live in and what it means to follow Jesus. So if I walked into a Power Baptist this coming Sunday, how would I know that I'm in an emerging church? Is there anything it would tell me? Probably not on Sunday morning. Well, it might do. Sunday, last Sunday morning we launched five new evangelism birthing projects and they all came from the congregation not from me so it will be emerging in the sense that the mission of the church is comes out of the church rather than a leader saying this is what we must do there would be art on the walls so you would know that that part of your body is valued and you would have in the introduction to communion you would have had a multimedia display so you would have known that body and technology are also important. In the evening, the sermon would have been interactive. So you you had a voice, you had a say, you shared what you felt about the scriptures. And the prayer would use visual aids. 
and prayed for water in Canterbury. So a strong environmental focus. So those would be some hints that this was emerging. Looking at your blog, you actually have two, one on the book, uh, postcards, and the other one is Emergent Kiwi. What are you writing about at the moment on your blogs? In terms of my book writing, I'm working on a book on the Bible and the Emerging Church. I'm interested in how the Emerging Church use the Bible um, and how they can use it better. For some weird reason, people seem to appreciate different dimensions of my character. So my blog is just basically me putting up the things that I'm doing, and so there are film reviews there, there are notes from Brian McLaren, there are worship resources that I might have prepared for a Sunday, there are sermons that I might have found helpful, there's reflection on transitions and change within the church, yeah, and different people find different dimensions of that helpful, and so I just put it up there. Seeing that we are on the topic of your book, why don't you describe the book to us? What did you do in the book, and why did you do it? A brief story first. In the UK, in, in the World War II, the army needed to practice their bombing, and so they requisitioned this village and said, you, it's, you can't go there anymore, we're going to fire at it. Um, and part of that village had a church in it, and so they erected a 10-foot-high metal fence around this church and put up these big signs saying, out of bounds. And once a year, the villagers were allowed to go back to their church and to unlock the out-of-bounds gates and go in and have worship uh, and then come out and lock them again. Uh, and in many ways, the book was a double conversation. I wanted to alert the church to the fact that I wonder if we are now sitting beside inside 10-foot-high walls with the words out of bounds on them, and so that many postmoderns find the existing church unhelpful for their spiritual faith. So in that sense, it's out of bounds. Secondly, I wanted to look at what emerging churches were doing around the world. And so there are stories of churches in Australia, in the UK, in the USA. So it's mainly a Western look around the world. And I wanted to say to those emerging churches, I wonder if there are things that you are doing that are also 10 foot high out of bounds fences to emerging cultures. And so I wanted to challenge and encourage both a wide range of people to think missiologically about their practices. What did you yourself learn while writing the book? The book emerged from my PhD. The thing that I found most personally helpful was the recovery of a doctrine of creation and a much more greater understanding of the Spirit of God at work. Uh, and so for me, the book was a personal charting of a movement and realising that the Spirit of God was active outside the walls of the church. And what would it mean for my creativity as a person made in the image of God to be able to resource and work and partner with the Spirit of God outside the walls of the church. So as part of my own journey, like we made these postcards the spiritual resource postcards that we placed in cafes all around our city. And that was what I learned from the book, that um, God could be at work through the internet, through our technology, through our culture, in ways beyond Close my eyes and think of you All that you've done for me
Sava by Revive, a Christian community in Leeds, England, available from networkleeds.com. And now, back to our conversation with Steve Taylor about his book, The Out of Bounds Church. What surprised you most in the writing of the book? I was surprised anyone would, <laughs> would want to listen to me, so that, that surprised me. I was surprised to get a book contract in the States you know, with the Emerging Church. That was very global of them. So I need to say that, um, thanks to my American publishers for publishing a non-American. I've been really encouraged by the feedback from the book, you know, to have emails from people saying, I read your book and I'm now starting a new church in Canada, or, you know, I read your book and it's been really helpful in this way for their faith community. That, to me, has been very humbly surprising. What disappointed you the most, either in the writing of the book itself or in the reactions to it? Oh, that's a very good question. What disappointed me the most? There hasn't yet been much U.S. emergent church engagement with the book. So I've been a bit disappointed with that. That'll probably get me in trouble. (laughs) If I was Joe Soap walking into a church for the first time, could I use your book as a kind of a hitchhiker's guide to emerging churches? Well, it's interesting because Ryan Bolger is teaching a class at Fuller Seminary at the moment on the Emerging Church, and they are using my book in exactly that way. It's a right text. And I think their assignments are due in today. Um, so it'll be interesting, actually, for me to go to those, because they're, they're doing it by blogs, you see. So sometime today I'm probably going to go to those blogs and read and see, did people find my book helpful uh, in that regard? What I wanted to do was, uh, there, there are some metaphors in there, metaphors about birthing, uh, metaphors about creativity, metaphors about what I call spiritual tourism, metaphors about DJing. And I wanted to give people metaphors that they could then take and apply in their own context. The book has lots of stories of how you know I have done it, but often if you give people an image or a metaphor, it lasts longer than a 10-point prescription. So the book, I wanted to give people metaphors that they could continue to play with and learn from, bounce around, push around in their own context. I see your book is available on Amazon in the U.S. for $11. That's quite a good price. Thank you very much. Buy Steve Taylor today for a bargain price. Why did you write the book, Steve? I wrote the book because I had uh, done a PhD, and part of me wanted to have more than just my three supervisors and an examiner, you know, read read these hours of work. And I also felt that my research had uncovered some things that were useful in terms of thinking about the emerging church. I am concerned about some dimensions of the emerging church. I wanted to bring missiology into the conversation around the emerging church. What methods did you use to uh, gather your information? The, the basis of it is my PhD, where I went to an emerging church in New Zealand and I did surveys of over 50 people in that emerging church as to sociology of why they got there, where they'd come from, what they were learning, how they were growing, what they valued. And then I did a number of focus groups with that church. So it was a very localised study of one particular emerging church. And I then did some overseas travel, particularly to Australia, a little bit to the US and to the UK. And I, again, sat through through worship and interviewed leaders. Yeah, so there's a mix of interviewing participants, interviewing leaders, and then actually 
sitting through the Emerging Church worship and saying, if what you do says something about what you believe, then what does this worship say about your values and your beliefs? How many churches in all that you look at ultimately? I went very deep in one and then I had interviews with about 30 churches and church leaders, primarily in the UK. What congregation really stood out for you, or, or a couple of them, in this research that you did? The story of Cityside, um, Baptist in New Zealand, that, that to me is a, a wonderful story of regeneration and the use of creativity and community to help a group of people you know, find and express a much more vital faith in God. What Johnny Baker was doing at Grace in terms of their commitment to use the globalised technology to carry faith. And so rather than saying, come to us, they were setting aside practices like the labyrinth you could do anywhere. There's a guy in Edinburgh who was just doing a fantastic incarnational work amongst club cultures, a guy called Paul Thompson, and that was very impressive. How long did your research take? The PhD extended over four years, yeah, and... Yeah, there's, there's more data yet that I have, haven't worked with. In the book, you mix biblical exegesis and you use pop culture, you even recommend background music. Can you give us an example? There were songs that meant a lot to me as I wrote the book, songs or movie clips that I felt illustrated it. So when I talk about contemporary culture, I use the Romeo and Juliet movies, Zeffirelli versus Luhrmann, and in an ideal world, really you should be watching those movies as you read the book because visually they explain things a lot better. Some of U2's music helped illustrate some of the points about still haven't found what I'm looking for, the spiritual search, uh, the spiritual journey. About Brian McLaren's visit to New Zealand, how did that go? It went really well. Um, Brian is, it's the first time I've met Brian, and second time actually. Brian is a really nice person that struck me again and again. He's got this wonderful ability to not polarise, but to challenge all groups to move forward in the way of Jesus. He had this ability to challenge you nicely just to keep growing. And the other thing that struck me was how biblical he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because a lot of the PR wonders if this man you know, is a Christian, but he's amazingly biblical. Yeah, we had about 80 people at the seminar, which was a good turnout for New Zealand. People from at least six different church denominations, so a broad conversation going on, and lots of really positive feedback from people. So, yeah, some of our leading pastors approaching retirement in the city coming up and saying to me, if that's the emerging church, I like it. Um, Mark Pearson brought him out and organised all the visits in that. Mark Pearson uh, works for Urban Seed in Australia. Give us a brief overview of what happened during the visit because I see from your blog that there were many events organized uh, to accompany the visit. Each time after Brian spoke, there was a panel of people who responded to Brian. I had worked very hard to get a panel that included lay and women, young and old, not just white church ministers. And the point of that was to help us contextualize the conversation. Uh, and so we interviewed the panel about what they were hearing Brian say and then Brian responded to that. Um, and that, I think, was very helpful in terms of just helping people think about New Zealand and what it would mean locally. And the second thing we did was we ran about eight workshops which involved local New Zealand people talking about 
things that they were doing, which we wanted to use to put practical wheels on some of what Brian was saying. Which of those workshops were you involved in yourself? I was meant to do one on spiritual formation. I'm using spiritual takeaways, but I, I was sick. I've got a viral liver infection, and so in order to look after myself, I cancelled my workshop. Do you have any uh, news about what happened in the other workshops? People came out of them with a bit of a smile on their face, and I think really appreciated the chance to say, how could this work in New Zealand? And so to bat round with people, what could this mean for me in my church tomorrow or the week after? Denominational backgrounds were the people from who attended the workshops? Um, we had Presbyterian, a number of different Pentecostal denominations, Baptist, Brethren, House Church, probably eight to ten different denominations. I wanted to mention your post on 1 Peter, whether it's misogynist or feminist, but before I do, do you actually offer an answer to the question? Yes, um, Peter is a feminist. <laughs> uh, when, when you read him in his original context, um, all the household codes are addressed only to men in the Greco-Roman culture. There's never any mention of women. And so when Peter starts to talk to women, he has been radical in terms of actually acknowledging that women have a role and a place and responsibilities within the community of faith. Now, compared to what contemporary women might expect, it's, you know, it's not there yet, but when you look at Peter within his original context, he is a radical feminist. So did you see any films recently that is particularly relevant to the emerging church? I've just been to see Brokeback Mountain, uh -huh. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, and I think that's, that is relevant because it asks us to consider male spirituality and how males form friendships. I think it's got immense implications for how we do church because... You're not going to give us a review of the film, are you? I am, but I'll do it on paper. Um, <laughs> I write these film reviews for a newspaper, okay. and they let me publish them in the blog two weeks after the newspapers have gone out. So I have to preserve the confidentiality of that of that arrangement. Well, then talk about uh, how the world's fastest Indian relates to the emerging church. The world's fastest Indian is amazing. The it's dedicated to the god of speed. Uh, and this guy sets out, you know, to build the fastest motorbike in the world. And he's a New Zealander, and he wants to go to um, Salt Flats in the U.S. and set the world speed record on this motorbike. And when he gets there, it's like a religious experience for him. The sun starts to rise, you know, gently out of the desert, and he recites all these people who have been here before him and driven faster. And it's like the litany of the saints. You know, these are my ancestors who've shaped my passion and my devotion. The challenge, I think, for the Emerging Church out of that film is that there is a spirituality already at work in the life of someone. He already has a form of faith. He already has some heroes. He already has some form of religion. And what does it mean for us to engage in meaningful dialogue with spiritualities that are already there. Not to accept them fully and not to ignore them, but to appreciate that people are already on a religious search and the best thing we can do is listen to them before we preach to them. See, you also reviewed Serenity and Narnia. 
Yes, um, Serenity is a, is a really interesting movie because, um, again, there are religious overtones in there. There's the shepherd community who follow the book, um, and there's a whole place of strong female role models and the place of intuition in that movie. And again, remind us that spirituality is very alive and well you know, outside the walls of the church. And Narnia, I reviewed that with my eight-year-old, and that was great to be able to do a film review with her. Yeah, and she loved it, and it was a good movie. Narnia seems to catch Christians by surprise in some ways, in the sense that people don't seem to know how to respond to it. Some people feel, it seems to me, obliged to review it negatively, and others seem obliged to review it positively. I was listening to a BBC reviewer on this, who, as far as I know, is a secular person, and he was quite happy that it was a Christian thing and had no problems with it. On the other hand, I've seen Christians being very uh, down in the mouth about it. Yes, I think Christians need to rethink their attitudes to the arts. The arts are not propaganda. And I think if you go looking for a magic bullet that will save your friends, then you'll be disappointed. And you should be disappointed because art isn't propaganda for the Christian gospel. At the same point, there are significant connections, and I think conversations that can be made. And so, you know, for us as a church, we did a, a children's service, all-age children's service based around the Narnia movie, and we then gave out resource packs, and these are available on my web blog if people want them. So to help families talk together afterward about the movie and the plot and the character, and so basically trying to help our people be more mature in their engagement with the film. It's not the magic bullet, but there are themes you can pull out and discuss, and it's those conversations afterward that we need to encourage. And I see your blog also has a link to how can churches use film on it. Yeah, I, I teach a, a course called Gospel and Film, and then I was asked to uh, talk to Anglican ministers about that topic of how churches use film. And so I just wrote up about seven ways that I currently see churches using film in a whole lot of different ways, and that's up there, just to give people an idea of the breadth and the possibilities that there are in terms of engagement. Steve, I want to thank you very much for taking the time for this interview and for all your insights you gave us into the church in New Zealand. Pleasure. Thanks for what you do in terms of trying to bring a global and sociological awareness to the movement. I think those are perspectives that greatly need to be heard. That does it for the show. In our next podcast, Karen Ward talks about the Church of the Apostles in Seattle, a recent emerging learning party, eBay denominations and a goth mass. If you would like to send me comments and suggestions about the podcast, or if you have produced music that you would like to be played on the show, contact me via email at e-merge at gmail.com or you can leave a message on our listeners feedback line at e-merge with Skype. Our theme music is from Mary's Baby, produced by Proust.co.uk if you would like to find out more about the Emerging Church, follow the links for the show. This is the Red Herrings signing off. Thank you for joining me. We play out with the song Justice from the album Backbone, featuring two Johnnies in the basement. Until next time, peace and justice.
Like a never failing stream